I'd like for you to turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. I would like to just read these passages, um, these verses, and then we'll introduce our goal and our big idea tonight. If I were to give this a title, I would call these verses that we want to initiate conversations that may become redemptive um, relationships. Verses 2 to 6. My clicker is not advancing for some reason. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We pray that God would allow us to initiate conversations, that we would be able to begin conversing with people for one goal, that those conversations, that those relationships will become redemptive relationships. We don't want to just be stuck talking about sports or something temporal, but God, I want to go deeper. I want to have a specific direction and goal that I'm going so that at the end we can see people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is my goal, what I want to accomplish tonight. I want us to learn to listen to people so that we can understand or know their worldview and how to answer that. We'll talk about that tonight. Learn to listen to people in their worldview, be able to determine what their worldview is and how to share the gospel with them. Where should we begin in sharing the gospel with them? That's the first half, then we'll have our time of prayer, and then the last half, probably more like the last third, will be then I'm going to tell three Jesus stories. Just put it very simple, that when we hear where people might be, how just sharing a story from the Bible can then lead into a gospel opportunity of sharing the gospel. So if you would turn to that sheet, and I believe we'll have that, it's on the screen behind me. I know that's pretty small, but if you're online following, if maybe you could pick that up, um, but you should have a handout in front of you. I want us to talk about this good soil E&D. This is actually E&D, good soil. It's called Evangelism and Discipleship. It's put out by ABWE, and you could get on goodsoil.org. If you don't have that sheet, um, Ted could come down the aisle um, with a sheet. Anybody not have a sheet that would like, need one? Okay, we have two ladies right here. We see those decisions. Thank you. No. Okay, we're, this is a model. This scale, all right, it's simply a, a human model to describe typical human responses, okay? So this is a model that's helping us. It's not a fast, hard, fast rule, but it's just a model that's showing what are some typical human responses. It's not comprehensive to say it's, it includes all responses of what they might be, all right? And it doesn't mean that human responses will always follow the exact order, but we're going to look at this chart. If you can look at the chart behind, look at the bottom, you'll see it has human spiritual responses in our role, and then off to the right, God's role. In that blue column, in that blue column, it talks about um, general and special revelation. It talks about conviction, regeneration, sanctification. That's all divine roles that God makes that happen. And as that's happening, I believe we move up the chart. I'm going to give three passages, Acts 2, 14, and 17, to illustrate that. All right, so we look at that as really what God does. 
Um, the bottom half is evangelism. The E and the top half um, where you see plus one through plus 12 is discipleship. So we start at the bottom, the recipient, the unbeliever in the E process and the believer in the D process. They have to respond. Now, please hear me on this. And if there's a question on anything I'm saying, just raise your hand and we'll stop and I'll, I'll address it. But they have to respond positively to the influences in order to receive and progress up the scale. In other words, you don't get to minus 10 if they're still stuck on minus 12. If they're questioning that there's really a God, you're not going to get to minus 7 where they understand there's one true God. They have to break and accept those points to move up. And as we're sharing the gospel with them and we're praying that God takes away their blindness, it's a God thing, but he uses people. Okay? So as we move up the scale and as God is working, um, an unbeliever will not proceed up the scale if she is unaware of their need in their life. Let me say that again. And that's one of the reasons I had said before we don't preach the gospel. We don't talk about Christ and who he is and what he's done until they see their need. Um, Maybe they already see their need, so we don't have to hammer that point home again. We can then step into like a, a, a negative six on the scale. We'll get to that in a moment. But a person has to see their need in their life before they can move up the scale. Is that accepted? Is that understood? The process of the scale, it's not, it's not predictable. Um, there's no time sequence on it. Um, it could take 20 years. It could take 20 minutes. Um, we can't put a time sequence on it. Um, there's a definite universal where everybody begins. Everybody has to begin at negative 12. Now, it may be as a three-year-old, then they're coming to understand, oh, there is a God. Okay, so they're booting up the scale quickly. But we begin with this spiritual vacuum. We're born with a God vacuum in our lives. God has created us with an emptiness, with a yearning. That's why you see all of the false religions in the world. You have atheists. Atheists hate the word theists. They can't even get a word away from that in describing themselves. So we're born with this, this, this God vacuum in our lives. And as individuals respond positively to the spiritual truth that is shared to them, then they start to move up the scale until they arrive at zero. So you have somebody at a negative 12, born with a God vacuum, and you're talking to them. Maybe you're at the Grand Canyon, Alan, or others that have been there, and you just see this, and they say, this is too awesome. I mean, there, there, there's got to be someone behind this, and you're able to bring in Scripture and share with them the God of the Bible. They said, yeah, you know, I, I feel that, I see that, and they're moving up the scale. They sense that they have a spiritual emptiness, you know, and they start to ask questions, and I, I think over my life, people that God has brought to me, sometimes I've pursued them, but um, people that sitting in my office, remember this, this Chinese man um, in Parsippany, boatload of years ago, um, but just having come from China, but just was searching. It was a God thing. He was moving up the scale. Um, he eventually accepted Christ. Anyway, persuasion. If properly done with God's prompting, God working in their heart will bring fruit. But persuasion without God working will be empty, easy believism, where we'll simply get a person just to mouth some words. That's not what we're after. Um, we want to persuade people, as Paul was before, who was that, King Agrippa? Almost you persuade me to be a, be a Christian. 
Um, we want to persuade people with our, with our love for Christ and what he's done. Um, but we don't get to that point without much discussion, much prayer, much information that's shared. And maybe we could just call that relational evangelism um, when we get to such a point. Confronting an unbeliever with a false response um, without information, we certainly we don't want to go there. All right, any questions on the scale that, that I've showed behind? Notice here at the bottom, basic gospel concepts. It's kind of what we've already talked about. Um, we talked about my two weeks that I had it. We talked about um, man, talked about sin, talked about judgment, talked about Christ and the cross, and talked about faith. Um, I quickly and briefly talked about God um, in my point where I said judgment. We looked at Revelation 2015. So I used really those basic gospel concepts, and they're here on the screen before us. God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. So people are on a different scale. We don't know where people are. Your neighbor may be a 12 your neighbor may be a minus seven. Your neighbor may be a minus four. God, they may be entirely different. So what I'm talking tonight, that we could determine where a person is. We listen to them to determine what their worldview is because their worldview will tell you where they are on the scale. Okay, let me, let me break it down in this way. It will help us to understand how they interpret life, their worldview, how they translate it, what they see, what they have a value system is, how they behave. That's their worldview. So as we listen to what they say brings them joy, what brings them pain, what brings them in a crisis, um, what sources of personal significance, what's important to them is all telling us what is their worldview, what's important. Um, do they have any religious expressions that they're making? Are there any religious symbols that they have? We're listening carefully to their statements of belief, to their values, their core. What's at the heart of it all? What drives them? Maybe we can ask questions like this, which will help us to hear their worldview and determine where they are. And there's a reason why. And I'm going to look in Acts 2.12 and um, Acts um, 2.14 and 17 in a moment. Um, but maybe we could use questions like this. Well, as we're talking to somebody. Now, again, we're talking relational evangelism. We're not just looking to jump right in to somebody in there. Hey, you ever think about how the world got here? You know, but somebody that, that we're building bridges with, um, maybe in our conversation, he's saying, well, you ever think about how the world got here? Um, you ever think about how the world's in such a mess right now? And just look at where we are in our, our country, um, all that's going on, maybe we could even say to them, why do you think there's so much racial tension in our country? Uh, what's driving that? Why, why is that there? Um, what do you think happens when a person dies? We just heard of Surfside City down in Florida. Um, so far, 12 people recovered. Um, you know, does, and maybe they live in a high rise or an apartment. You ever think about that? What if your building collapsed? You know, what are, what are they trusting in so that you're able to direct them to the right, right point? I would like to answer the questions on the back of that sheet through three passages, but with this in mind. The first question that we'll look at, where do you think the people in Peter's audience, Lystra crowd, Epicureans? Peter is Acts 2, the Lystra crowd is Acts 14, Epicureans and Stoics are Acts 17. Where are they on the ED scale, and where did Peter and Paul begin when 
teaching or trying to share the gospel with them. So where are they? We'll come back to that question. And number two we'll look at is of the eight gospel concepts that we looked at in the beginning, God, man, sin, death, Christ, the cross, faith, life. Of which of these do the people in Acts 2, Acts 14, and Acts 17 already understand fairly well? And then the third question I want to answer in those three chapters, with which gospel concept did Peter begin with and which one did Paul begin with? Are you all with me? All right. Go with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. Any questions, please don't be hesitant to to raise your hand. Acts chapter 2, please. We're familiar. Um, Unfortunately, I won't be able to read the whole whole passage, but we'll read portions of it. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Here is in Pentecost. And Peter becomes the main speaker, but we'll begin prior to that. We want to know, who is his audience? Peter gives this incredible message beginning in verse 14, but who's his audience? So verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout Jews, or in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So we're seeing that they're, they're God-fearing Jews. And then we get to verse 11, and we see that there are some converts to Judaism or, or proselytes. And it says both Jews and proselytes. So, so men that converted to Judaism. And then jump to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man is tested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. All right, so as we look at, look at all of that, let's try to determine and understand of where of Peter's audience answered the first question. Where do you think the pe- people in Peter's audience are on that scale, if we could go back to the scale for a moment? Where are they on that scale? As you look at the scale, are they at 12? They're born with a God vacuum? Are they at 11? Um, are they at 10? Are they at 9? Seek to feel personal. What do you think? Go ahead, Sandy. Okay, minus seven. Uh, realize there's only one true God. Anything else? I think Sandy is, is, is right, if not really close, because maybe six, because six says exposed to other Christian concepts. Peter says in verse 22, you, you men of Israel, they knew of Jesus. They knew of that. They knew that he had been crucified. Because they were the crowd. <laughs> so they're exposed to the earliest Christian concept. So I think it's important that we understand in the second thing, what eight concepts of the eight, what did they already understand? Because they were Jews. They had a strong background in the Torah. Maybe Catholics, strong background if they're religious. So where, where were they? What, what eight, of the eight concepts, concepts, how many did they have nailed down? Did they have God nailed down? Yes. Did they have man nailed down? I say yes, because they knew that God created man. Did they have sin nailed down? The Torah teaches that, yes. Did they have death nailed down? Yes. Did they have Christ nailed down? And that's where he began. In fact, you'll look at the passage in verses 15 and following refers to the prophet Joel and he quotes Joel 
their Torah, their understanding. And then he pounds home the gospel in verses um, 22 and following. He's talking to them about Jesus, tying in Old Testament of Christ dying and, and um, the prophets and brings it right home that he's died on the cross and rose again. So again, looking at the scale, his audience is religious, his audience is well-versed. He doesn't begin by defending who God is. He doesn't have that as a starting point. He begins right with their understanding of Christ and their need for Jesus Christ. Any questions? Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 14 and see the Lystra crowd and how Paul um, confronts them. Acts chapter 14, verses 6 through 18. We don't get to Paul's message until verse 15, but let's look at some of the background here in verses 6 and following. In Acts chapter 14, um, they fled from Lystra and Derbe, um, or they fled to Lystra and Derbe. Verse 8, now there were a man sitting. They see this man. Paul looked upon him, said with a loud voice, um, stand upright on your feet, and he stood um, and so then the response of the people, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the chief priest of the Zeus brought out um, oxen, garlands. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they cried out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good tidings that you should turn, turn from these vain things to a living God. So now here's the question. Peter now, Paul now begins this message and he talks about the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea in past generations. God allowed to walk in their own ways yet did not leave him by himself without a witness. Um, So he talks about God. So what did the people understand? Well, let's first answer. Where are they on the scale? Where do you think this audience and Lystra are on the scale? If you were to determine 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 1, where are they? Somebody else other than our brainchild here. <laughs> what do you think? Dawn. Okay, minus eight. Okay, anyone else? Somebody said 10? Okay. I think, you know, it's hard to dissect it. I think I would put it between 10 and 8, maybe even 11 and 8. All right, because they have an awareness of some, they have a God vacuum, and I think they're aware of some superpower beyond them, even though it's grossly mistaken. So they talk about Zeus and Hermes and all of that. So they have this idea of probably camping somewhere around 10, not a real strong understanding of God. All right, so what the second question then is, of these eight concepts, what do they understand God, man, sin, death, Christ, so forth. Which ones do they understand, if any? You're shaking your head, Doreen. Yeah, I don't think they, they understand any of them, right? They don't get it. You know what I see of you know what I see important of this? Know where the people are to whom we are talking, and then start at the right point they're not ready. They're not ready. Well, you know, you understand that man is a sinner, that, that Christ died for you? They're not even ready for that basic stuff. 
Paul begins with the God who made heaven and earth. Okay, so he's giving them a lesson in theology. He's teaching them about God. So again, the beauty of this is worldview. We listen to their noise, to their worldview noise. We listen to the chatter, where they're coming from, and then we try to address it biblically to their need. Um, We talked in the last weeks of sharing the gospel and giving a gospel presentation, but I beg of you, it's not really that hard. I, I see all of you, you know the gospel, you know the truth, you know your Bibles. You don't have to be some seminarian. You don't have to be um, 95 years a deacon. Um, we can share the gospel with, with what God has blessed us with. Even somebody as young in the faith as Jason can share it. People ask questions and just, well, you know, my Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God is supreme. So that's where, where Peter begins or Paul begins. Any questions? Let's jump forward then to Acts chapter 17. Please. She said, where would you start with somebody that's angry at God? Probably would need to ask, well, why are they angry with God? Um, Maybe they have a false view that God wasn't kind to them or God let their loved one die or God... And I would begin with, well, I'm sorry for what has happened, but this is the God of the Bible. You know, that God loves and cares. And now we're into that age-old discussion, how do we answer sin or judgment, man's responsibility, what God is still on course to accomplish his plan. So that may, I'm going to probably be stuck on 11 for a while, negative 11, just talking about the God of the Bible so they understand Does that answer it? Acts 17, 16 through 34. We're familiar with with Paul at Athens. Just a a one-minute background on the Epicureans and Stoics. Um, Epicureanism and Stoics. Epicureans would say the essence of the universe, I mean, it's really weird, um, but it's eternal, uh, meaning that there's non-created matter, atoms. It's, it's all materialism, that humans evolve. There's no afterlife. So they have no place for God in their picture and that everything is just materialism. Everything is, is really pleasure is what drives them. Um, pleasure living for the moment. That's all that matters. Um, enjoy yourself for tomorrow you die. Okay, Stoics, everything is matter. Um, but they look at everything in the universe as pantheism. You know, this, this water bottle is a God. Um, this mic is a God. God is in all of these things. They, they, are, they are gods. Um, so they're very immoral, subject to the laws of fate. So Paul steps into, um, into Athens. Something interesting here. Where are the people and where does Paul begin? Let's answer, first of all, where did Paul begin? The answer is kind of verse 7, 18, and he realized he did a quick worldview calibration and he changed his approach. Where did he begin in verse 18? No, 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 no. No, verse 18. They bring him because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So he's talking about Jesus in the resurrection. They want to hear more about this strange babbler. They take him up to their meeting place and Paul and the way realizes that's not where they are. 
He's not going to talk about Jesus in the resurrection. They're not ready for that. You got me? So he does a recalibration. He drops down from negative 6, drops all the way down to negative 12. Because understanding them that they're probably somewhere in negative 12, negative 11. They had no idea of the gospel concepts. They didn't understand God. They didn't understand man, sin, death, Christ, cross, life, faith. They didn't get any of that. And so Paul begins, much like he did with the Lister crowd, a defense of God, who God is. And he even quotes one of their, their poets um, to drive that home. Look in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he's just trying to enforce that of how great and how big and how glorious his God is. He doesn't live in some temple made by man. He doesn't live as some of you have these gods in Athens. No, he's beyond that. So again, what are we trying to drive? May we learn and hear where they are and be able to begin at that point. Any questions? I want to take three minutes, and you have heard us talk about this before, but I want to talk about it again just for three minutes, and then we're going to have our prayer time, and then the last minutes together get into some Jesus stories and how they could be used. Um, you're familiar, we've been talking about the story of hope. This is really a great tool. I've used it a couple times um, with people. But the story of hope has just such an inviting name because that's really the message of the Bible. Uh, maybe someone is totally clueless to the Bible. What is the Bible all about? What does it mean? What is the story of the Bible? Well, can I just give you a summation? It is a story of hope that man has a great need and how God came to solve that need. And the story of hope is 20 lessons or 20 stories of the Old Testament, 20 in the New and so you have stories that begin with God creation. In the beginning, God created, talking about creation, talks about um, then man's fall and what well, fall of the Satan, Lucifer, then man's fall, and then steps right into Genesis 3, God's promise, and then chases, it traces key Old Testament stories like the bronze serpent in Numbers 21. That's key for John chapter 3, right? And so all of that connection, and it closes with some messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. So they're seeing that God made man perfect. God wanted a relationship with man, man, sin. Key concepts we're picking up here. Um, death came as a result of that, but there was one that was coming. A Messiah was coming. And then the New Testament are, of course, the stories carrying out Christ, cross, life, um, and what is the other one? Eternal life. I'm missing the last one. Uh, I do Eternity, life. So you have these concepts throughout the stories. And then it closes with just a sweet way. If you've gone through that with your friend, it takes each of the eight concepts and highlights them. It goes through that. I have one or two books. If you would like to um, take these, you're welcome to, um, to take them. Again, it's different tools. Knowing where they are in the worldview, using a story hope, something so basic that you could just sit down with them and show them. It could be done in one hour. If you're working with somebody, you take a lunch break together, you could do four lessons in a half hour. And over the course of time, then you get to the end and they've seen all of the 40 stories and now it ties together in the eight concepts. Questions? I just did about 10 hours in two minutes. Let's have a time of prayer before we get to um, three Jesus stories. We're praying that God 
brings people into our lives that we listen to the Spirit's prompting opportunities that we have, whether it's on a plane ride as Mike and Sandy head to Alaska or whether it's our neighbors that we're having over. Um, Pray for people that are on your heart, then I'll lead us in prayer in a moment.